0: Action packed awesomeness right
1: here in the first six issues in a collected hardcover volume one. All you got to do is head on over to Kickstarter.com and type in the Department
0: of Meta Human Affairs or DMA and check it out right now.
1: Hey, mysterious circumstances listeners, Cece here, the host of the Sooner State True Crime Podcast. We focus on cases based in my
0: wonderful home state of Oklahoma. And since the term Sooner actually refers to the state's very first true crime, cheaters in the land run, Oklahoma is definitely a crime state. Sooner State True Crime can be found
1: in most podcast apps or visit our website anchor.fm slash crimestate. New episodes are released twice a month. Follow
0: us on Twitter at crimestate.fm. For upcoming episodes and more. So come away with me and discover my crime state on the Sooner State True Crime Podcast.
1: Alright, before we get started, gotta thank some new Patreon subscribers. Eric Stark, Rachel Clemens, Zoe... And Cheryl Kelly, thank you very much. I hope you're enjoying that. You know the backlog of uh, episodes that you got there, and you know dropping three a month here, so you know Patreon's pretty popping right now. Uh, if you want to sign up, you can go to Patreon.com/slash Mysterious Circumstances. Check out the tiers, and I will also not read any reviews after this episode. Uh, the next one, though. Uh, Next week, I will be reading a bunch of reviews after that. So, if you got any reviews that you want read, get them in now. Uh, Rate, review, subscribe. It does help me out. It helps me get found by more people, along with you, you know, telling your friends about me. So, on with the show. This podcast contains adult content. Some of the themes or topics may include... Information on murder, kidnapping... Torture, dismemberment... Maybe some demonic content. With information on possessions. And paranormal activity. This podcast will also include explicit. Horrible and foul. Socially unacceptable. Totally uninhibited. Adult themes language.
0: So if you're easily offended. If you're easily triggered. Then I highly suggest you turn this off now and if not. Just keep in mind... Parental discretion is advised. With 93 confirmed kills, but a rough tally closer to 400, Hathcock is infamous among the North Vietnamese Army, and the Viet Cong has placed a $30,000 bounty on his head. $30,000 bounty meant he was public enemy number one to the North Vietnamese Army. His life story reads like a Hollywood movie script. Before he even came to Vietnam, Carlos was on the military's radar screen as an exceptional marksman. He had won the Wimbledon Cup in 1965, and that is no easy feat. That means he bested over 3,000 fellow marksmen at 1,000 yards with a 30-odd-six rifle. Many people consider Carlos Hascock the the greatest military sniper of all time. Cool, calm, (laughs) methodical, highly skilled pinnacle of military effectiveness he was the epitome of everything a sniper should be in many ways he defined what a sniper is for the current generation he was a killing machine carlos's shot isn't a lucky shot it's a shot of incredible skill but it's extraordinary to think that the only way he could have brought it off is if cobra's rifle is pointed in the exact same position a millisecond later. Carlos would have suffered the same fate. Shot through the eye as the bullet went through the scope and then into the back of his brain. Carlos' exploits only reaffirm his status among the military brass. Reports come in repeatedly of him alone in the jungle for days on end in extremely difficult physical conditions and always achieving his target. He then becomes command's go-to guy for seemingly impossible missions. Of course, this has to be a volunteer mission. It's just simply too risky. It's almost suicidal. Carlos doesn't hesitate, naturally. He takes it on. The lone soldier on a daring mission, now pursued by the enemy. Carlos, of course, is a a master of camouflage and disguise, and so tightly controlled at being perfectly still that the foot patrols they go up and down the field, actually pass right by him, almost trip over him, and never see him. White feather. Yes, sir. What is it? Kind
1: of a trademark. Why I picked it up is because I was just going yin yin to the bad guys, see? And the snipers don't do this. But I was kind of a very belligerent individual, I guess, as a sniper. Kinda of like to plump my authority, I guess. <laughs> Alright, for a big old bundle of this information, gotta give credit to a book called Marine Sniper, 93 Confirmed Kills by Charles Henderson. Very well done book, lots of information. Highly suggest you check it out. It's where the bulk of this information does come from. Carlos Norman Hathcock II was born on May 20th, 1942. Hathcock was born in North Little Rock, Arkansas. His father was Carlos Norman Hathcock. His mother was Agnes. He was an only child from what I have read. His dad worked for the railroad and eventually became a welder in Memphis at the Tennessee Fabricating Company. At three years old... His father, who had brought back a non-functional Mauser from World War II, uh, basically gave it to him as a gift when he was three, and he was obsessed with it. Like, this is what he played with all the time. So, growing up. At a very young age, he'd be out in the woods with his dog and he'd be out there pretending to be a soldier and he'd be hunting like imaginary Nazis with his old Mauser, you know. And he dreamed of of being a soldier at that, even at that young, young age. At eight years old, he was living with his parents in a, in a Memphis apartment building. Now, it might have been both his parents. It might have been just his father not a hundred percent sure. Cause there's a lot of uh, contradictory information on when his parents separated, but while he's at this apartment building, there was a young Marine and his wife living below them. And that's when he saw a Marine for the first time. And for Carlos, that was it. That's what he wanted to be. And in his mind, even at eight years old, That would be the highest honor that he could ever achieve is becoming just an excellent, crazy, badass Marine. So, I mean, this is when this kid's like eight years old, right? And he starts watching all these old war movies, you know, all these John Wayne movies and shit like that. And he's getting into them. And when he's 10 years old. He starts hunting with a 22 caliber J.C. Higgins single-shot rifle. For him, he can't, He did not come from money, man. He was poor. The you know, financial situation was rough. So when he would go out hunting, it wasn't just for sport. It was a necessity. He was literally putting food on the table, you know, by the time he's 10, 11, 12 years old when he's out there hunting. So he became very, very good at stalking his prey and lining up his shots because, you know, single shot rifle, you got one shot and you got to reload, you know, so he comes, he becomes very good at, like I said, stalking and hunting his prey. Now, sometime there's varying information on this. Okay. Um, a lot of sources say that his parents separated when he was young up until he was 12, but that kind of contradicts a lot of the other information, you know, so a lot of places say, uh, you know, between the ages of 11 and 12 is when his parents separated, but basically he goes to live with his mom at, at his grandma's house, at her mom's house and There's two different places that they say she lived. One was uh, Geyer Springs, and the other one was Wynn, Arkansas. But on his 12th birthday, his mom and his grandma chip in, and they get him a 12-gauge single-shot shotgun. And his mom and grandmother both wanted him to have something with more responsibility than just like a little single-shot twenty-two rifle. And I mean, he opened this gift at 9 a.m. in the morning. By 9.30 in the morning, he had it loaded and was walking out to the woods. And he didn't fare very well with this shotgun. He tried shooting this rabbit a couple times, couldn't hit it. You know, he hadn't killed anything. By 11 a.m., Couple, you know, within an hour and a half, he hadn't killed anything yet. You know, he had missed a lot of easy shots. So he goes back home and gets his rifle. And goes back out into the woods. And within an hour, he comes back with two squirrel and a rabbit. He, you know, he went out within an hour and got dinner that night. And I mean, this is literally on his 12th birthday. 12-year-old kid out there getting it done, man. Putting food on the table. So, in 1957, at the age of 15 years old... He drops out of school and he starts working in the concrete business. He's uh, working for a concrete um, contractor. And this kid at 15 years old is working 10 hours a day, six days a week. And he did that for two years. Well, a little under two years because on his 17th birthday, May 20th, 1959, his mom gives him written permission and he enlists in the United States Marine Corps. So let me ask, do you experience stress or anxiety, chronic pain, or have trouble sleeping at least once a week? You are not alone. Many of us do. Personally, I do struggle with anxiety. I also struggle with, you know, hard, having a hard time sleeping at night. I use feel CBD. To help me conquer both And it's all natural That's one of the best parts You know, I was looking for something that could help That was not pharmaceuticals That's when I discovered Feels It is a premium CBD Delivered directly to your doorstep Every month It naturally helps reduce stress, anxiety, pain And sleeplessness And like I had mentioned It helps me sleep at night And it really helps my anxiety a lot It's super easy to take. You just place a few drops of Feels under your tongue and feel the difference within minutes. And I mean, they give you like a little eyedropper with it. And literally, you just pop a few drops underneath your tongue. Just hold it there for a minute. Super easy. Now, if you're new to CBD and you're kind of cautious, you don't know what's going on, Feels offers a free CBD hotline and text message support to help guide your personal experience. Feels works naturally to help you feel better. There's no high, there's no hangover, there's no addiction. Now you can join the Feels community to get it delivered to your door every single month. You'll save money on every order and you can pause or cancel at any time. Feels has me feeling my best every day and it can help you too. Become a member today by going to feels.com slash mysterious and you'll get 50% off your first order with free shipping. That's F-E-A-L-S dot com slash mysterious to become a member and get 50% off. That's F-E-A-L-S dot slash mysterious to become a member and get 50% automatically taken off your first order with free shipping. That's feels dot com slash mysterious. Try it out today. You can thank me later. And it's funny because he, you know, there's a story of him. You know, on that bus, getting ready. He ended up going to the uh, MCRD in San Diego. I, I ain't gonna lie, got a soft spot for the Hollywood Marines, man. You know what I'm saying? That's where I went. I couldn't do that Paris Island shit. <laughs> I went for the weather. Uh, but yeah, he he. In this book, he tells a story about you know he's pulling up to the to the depot, and you know this. Dude from St. Louis talking about how tough his gang was and shit. Got the slick back hair, you know. Uh, fucked a cigarette hanging out of his mouth. And, and the DI steps on the bus. And anybody who has been in the Marine Corps fucking knows that initial feeling. When you're on that goddamn bus and you pull up and you look out the window and you see those fucking yellow footprints. Man, let me tell you, there ain't too many things that'll strike fear into you. But once that DI gets on that bus, you know, you're like, what the fuck did I do? What in the hell did I do? And we have basically tells a story about this DI just like slapping the cigarette out of this dude's mouth, you know, and stomping it out. And, of course, that first day when you show up on them yellow footprints and, and you know, you're getting processed in and shit, it's, uh you know, you don't get to sleep that much that much the first couple of days. You're filling out a bunch of paperwork. You know, you're getting issued all your shit. But um he did fairly well, you know, after boot camp. Like, Carlos wasn't a very big guy, you know, full grown. He was like 5'10", 140 pounds. But the dude could carry his own weight above his head and walk with it like he was steel he had stamina he was super strong and he was just he had been training for this shit you know before he even got there so after boot camp and uh, basic infantry training he leaves camp pendleton for treasure island san francisco bay area and he from there he goes to hawaii and he becomes a machine gunner in the weapons platoon, company E, second battalion, fourth marines. And from all accounts, he really enjoyed Hawaii. He, he liked his free time, you know, the, the beaches, the women, you know, he had, he had a good time while he was out there. In these first couple years though, when he gets there, um he's learning a lot of different shooting techniques a lot of different skills and he only gets better with his shooting and he starts entering small various shooting competitions right so i th- i believe it's in 1961 i could be off on that but he reports to the air station in north carolina and uh this is cherry point and the per- When he gets there, the personnel chief can't really figure out where in the hell to put the guy because he's an infantry Marine and the nearest infantry regiments are in Camp Lejeune, which is like 40 miles south. So they're trying to figure, you know, is the dudes trying to figure out what the hell am I going to do with this guy? So the personnel chief asks him, you know, if he wanted to work in special services. Which is basically sweeping out the gym, passing out basketballs, you know, literally doing dumb shit. And Carlos, like, this was not for him. He was like, no, I'm a Marine. I'm going to, like, go the full 110%. I can't be doing that shit. So he kind of nonchalantly asks uh, the chief, he's like, does Cherry Point have a rifle team? I do have some experience in shooting. And the experience, you know, he knew that Cherry Point had a rifle team. Hathcock was all over this. He knew. And by the time he got to Cherry Point, he had already been a shooting coach. He had already shot on Hawaii's Marine team. So he tells uh, the chief, he's like, you can call Gunner Terry and Lieutenant Land back in Hawaii, which Lieutenant Land is going to come up a lot. It's Edward, uh, Edward James Land. He was known as Jim Land. Uh, at this point in time, he's a lieutenant. At various points in time, you're going to hear me call him Major. At other times, you're going to hear me call him Captain. But he took Hathcock under his wing very early on in Hawaii, and he watched him progress and you'll see like towards the end of this episode what that progresses into. Now, honestly, like snipers were were the outcasts of you know a lot of the platoons and shit like that. So he tells them that uh, you know, Lieutenant Land and Gunner Terry had, had put him through their uh scout sniper school there. He says I might be of some use out on the range. So the gunny, you know, he says, I'll call Gunny Paul Yeager. Uh, at the rifle range and see if he has a slot for you. He's only on the phone for a couple minutes. And the the, the coolest part about it is. Hathcock's reputation had preceded him. Even at this point. Because Jaeger had already heard about him. And he knew that he was coming out there to Cherry Point. Because you know one of the main reasons like the year before. Uh, he had won the Pacific Rifle Championships. Okay, like, I'm not lying, like, from a very early age, Carlos Hathcock could shoot, and he just kept progressing and getting better and better and better, and he started winning all these competitions, right? So, they had already wanted Hathcock, They, when they found out he was coming to Cherry Point, they had already wanted him to try out for the All-Marine Champion and the Cherry Point shooting team and shit like that. So he really starts getting into competitive shooting, uh, even more hardcore than he had before. And this literally consumes him. Like it's all he cares about because he, he feels that a Marine that can shoot, that's basically like the essence of a good Marine. And all Carlos Hathcock wants to be is the best Marine that he can possibly be. So this competitive shooting and, you know, various things like that, it it consumes him, like, that's all he thinks about, and I mean, even, he even spent his first Christmas in Cherry Point, uh, in the barracks, and he was reading books, and, uh, practicing various shooting positions, and shit like that, like, that's what he was doing, so, in, uh, in three years at Cherry Point, though, should be noted, he won all kinds of championships, he went from just talented to, like, winning championships in the Marine Corps, inner service national championships. Like, he was fucking good at what he did. Alright, so like I said, his first Christmas there, you know, uh, a lot of the other Marines noticed. they're like man, this guy is just super quiet, he always keeps to himself, and a lot of the other marines had felt bad for him, because he just really didn't go out, like, he had a lot of fun, you know, in the Pacific, you know, being stationed out of Hawaii and shit like that, he had been around, he had been to different ports, tropical ports, like, he enjoyed his time, but when he gets to Cherry Point, it's like January, you know and he's like you know it's december january or whatever the case might be and uh i believe it was december when he actually got there but he uh yeah he's you know not really into going out and stuff like that He didn't really mind it, though. Carlos enjoyed, like I said, he was concentrating on joining the Cherry Point shooting team. And in order to do that, he was going to give 110% of himself to shooting and practicing these positions and reading books about it and all this other stuff. So one one day in January, one of his buddies, you know, he thought he needed to go out and have a good time, right? And his buddy had a girlfriend that worked at a bank in Newburn, North Carolina, and Newburn was just, I believe, west of Cherry Point. Uh, and she had a friend that was single, so they tried talking. You know, they're like, "Come on, Carlos! Like, you know, at least meet meet the girl or whatever." So, in January of 1962, Carlos Hathcock walks into the bank to meet a woman named Josephine Brian Winstead. She was in her early 30s but she looked really young. The book I was reading said, you know, she didn't look, you know, over the age of 21, but she was actually in her 30s. She was recently divorced and hadn't really dated much since then. Uh she was taking care of her mother who was living with her in a small apartment there in Newburn. So this is this is the funniest part of the story. So Carlos walks in, right? And he didn't even own a pair of civvies and like for those like civilian clothing, like he legit as fuck wore his uniform everywhere, had no civilian clothes. And uh one of his buddies, you know, before they before he went to the bank to meet this to meet this woman, um, one of his friends, uh, you know, it was one of his fellow Marines is like, You'd probably have a little bit more luck with the ladies if you if you had some civvies. You can't just wear your fucking uniform everywhere. And don't get me wrong. Anybody who's seen the Marine Corps uniform, not even the dress blues, crisp creases. I mean, to the T's. Like, you would not believe how meticulous the Marine Corps is about their uniforms. That's why we always look the best, all right? We don't wear wrinkled shit. Okay, we looked good on point. But Carlos took it to the next level. He had everything tailored, like straight up tailored to fit him perfectly. He even had his damn trousers and his undershirt tailored to fit his body perfectly. Like that's how he was a poster perfect Marine. Okay, that's that's who Carlos was. So he walks in, you know, and he's got like this nice dark shirt on. He's got his hair all slicked. And he, and he introduces himself and she says that like his eyes just seem to dominate his entire presence and she starts feeling really, really shy. You know, at one point she, you know, she's like, I hadn't felt like that since I was a teenager, you know? So they go to leave the bank and, you know, go out on their date or whatever. And she noticed that he didn't have a coat on and it was pretty cold outside You know, she asked him, she's like, well, she's like, aren't you cold? Like, you don't even have a coat. And she said he just kind of like, you know, looked down and was like, well, I haven't really had time to buy a coat yet. She ended up feeling bad. You know, he had just gotten there from Hawaii. Like he's, you know, rolling all over the tropical climates and he gets in here and it's like December, January. So, yeah, he's pretty chilly. But he told her he's like, I had not had time to buy a coat yet. Yeah, I'm pretty, pretty cold right now. She basically, like, goes and and hugs on him for warmth, you know, so they can both kind of be warm together. And, I mean, that was it. That was it. Later that year, on November 10th, 1962, mark that date, the guy got married on the Marine Corps birthday because he, uh, you know, he knew it was an easy date, an easy anniversary date that he would remember. He wouldn't forget it, so... (laughs) He literally got married on the Marine Corps birthday. I think like the next year they gave, they gave birth to a son. They only had one child together, Carlos Norman Hathcock, the and Carlos, the third actually did follow in his father's footsteps. He, he joined the Marines as well, which is super cool. And, um, he was accomplished himself. Actually, she being married to Carlos Hathcock was not easy. All right. He was gone a lot. He was shooting in regional, state, and national matches all over the country. Like, he would leave Thursday night, and he'd come home Sunday night. And then Monday through Wednesday, he would work from 5 a.m. to 6 p.m. at the rifle range. Then when he would get home in the evenings, he would practice shooting positions on the living room floor. Like, that's how dedicated this guy was. But... Joe, she loved the guy. They loved each other. And, you know, she dealt with it. So, by 1965, you know, at the age of 23, Hathcock had won a lot of shooting championships, okay? But in 1965, Lance Corporal Carlos Norman Hathcock II wins the Wimbledon Cup at Camp Perry. This is not something to be taking lightly. This is the highest honor, the highest shooting honor that you can win. Like, you know what I'm saying? It's, you have to beat out a couple other thousand people, you know, with a 30-06 rifle on point. But given his past record, you know, it would come eventually. Like he was going to win this thing eventually. And again, by now, uh, Edward James Land, who was, you know, one of his officers who took him under his wing and put him through Scout Sniper School in Hawaii. Uh, he's a major now, and he was there. He watched him. Now, what makes Major Land, well, you know, like I said, eventually, uh, Captain, he helped establish the Scout Sniper Program in Quantico, Virginia. And I shit you not, Carlos Hathcock wrote the syllabus. That's how, I can't stress enough, how extremely talented this dude was. And then in March of 1966, Hathcock started his deployment in the Vietnam War. Uh, He first started off, he went over as a military policeman, but he volunteered for combat and regular reconnaissance missions. And he later became a sniper after captain, you know it was major at the time uh edward james land he pushed the marines into raising snipers in every platoon like before then they were just their own entity but land was like no we need a sniper unit in every single platoon this is how it will benefit us blah 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 and um he ended up transferring, Carlos ended up transferring, to the first Marine Division Sniper Platoon located at Hill 55 just south of Denang. Now, like I had said, Land had recruited all these Marines. He had he had handpicked people who were badass in sharpshooting. Okay, and like I said, Hathcock had just won the Wimbledon Cup like the year before. And he was way, he was on their radar way before this. So, you know, that was, that was a given. While he's over in Vietnam, of course, Joe doesn't really know much about what he's doing. Like uh, Hathcock's wife, Joe, she doesn't really know much about what he's doing. You know, she knows that he's in a unit, he's in combat and stuff like that. And one day she goes and picks up a copy of the Raleigh News and Observer, and she would look through the papers, read the news on the war, and see if, any, if there was any news on people that her and Carlos knew, and she goes to a column called Service News, and she starts reading a paragraph that is headed with the words, Scout Sniper. And she starts reading for the first time about how her husband is regularly going into enemy territory alone or with one other person and stalking and killing all these Viet Cong. The article reads... A scout sniper with the 1st Marine Division of Vietnam earned praise from his commanding officer for making life miserable for Viet Cong. Sergeant Carlos Hathcock of New Bern is one of several expert marksmen credited with killing more than 65 enemy. Firing at ranges up to 1,125 yards, Hathcock and his crew have been picking off better than two enemy a day without a single friendly casualty. When his wife, Joe, reads this, she actually gets kind of upset. She didn't like him being in the military, and she absolutely hated Vietnam, alright? But she loved Carlos, and he loved the Marines, so she tolerated it. She starts feeling, you know, a little bit angry. She was always kind of jealous of the Marines, just because Carlos... That was his life. That was what he loved. Like I said, she tolerated it. This right here might seem like a short episode, but for the love of God, that information was hard to find. Part two, we're going to get in to a lot of his most famous confirmed kills, a lot of stories from Carlos himself. I actually am blessed with enough audio that I can have Carlos tell the stories himself, which is going to be pretty awesome. But I hope you guys enjoyed it. Next Monday, you're going to be receiving part two, and there's going to be a lot of action in that one. Um, But I wanted to separate his early life from his service life. You got to add context to the person. I thought that was fairly important, so... I hope you guys enjoyed the episode, and I will see you here next week.